0: You're listening to Lady Radio, the hottest show this side of Dizzo. and welcome to this, the double-digit edition of Lay Radio, the show that covers the universe of Elite and the development of the computer game Elite 4, Elite Dangerous. I'm your host, second technician, Fossil Forrester, and joining me in the orange sidewinder for episode 10 is the crown prince of fun, Alan Stroud. Hi. The demon debugger himself, John Stabler. Hello. And finally, returning to claim his chair after being stranded in deep space, Commander Thane himself, Christopher Jarvis. Good evening. Good evening, gentlemen. So here we are with the big one zero. Uh, This is our 10th main show, but combined with the writer's interview and the Conclave and Escape Velocity, this will actually be our 18th podcast, taking our tally to somewhere in the region about 20 hours worth of podcasting. So a big thank you to all of our listeners for not switching off. So guys, a busy week. Uh, I think for once I'll actually go first. Uh, This week we've released the writer's interview with Darren Gray. Darren is one of the story writers involved in Tales from the Frontier. Uh, His short story entitled The Comet's Trail sounds very cool. Uh, we've also just recorded the second episode of our community invite show, The Conclave. Topics covered on the latest show include the concept of microtransactions within Elite, and also the question of PvP, player versus player in Elite, and when is a pirate not a griefer? On the home front, I've actually been having a great time recently as I've discovered a medium-sized theme park near me in Melton Mowbray that I didn't even know existed. And so I bought a season ticket, and I've been having a great time taking my two-year-old boy there pretty much every day. Chris, what have you been up to?
1: Well, I was on holiday. I uh, went and had a little trip away to uh, Wales, which was really nice. And yeah, just the fun of uh, trying to get episodes of Escape Velocity up while on holiday, uh, having to use my my phone to edit a website, which was which was exciting. And I've been working on a website for the kind of background for audio production stuff for for Escape Velocity and some other audio projects that I've kind of got in the pipeline that I'm sort of at the writing stage with. So it's really just to give those those a home because they're not all necessarily elite related. So it's uh, yeah, it's going to be kind of a new things going to be exciting and then um, we'll see how that develops excellent
2: alan what have you been up to teaching's finished we've sorted out all of the the students and i've got a, a boatload of marking to to get through which is always nice related to to elite and everything else i've been writing and actually i've been away for a couple of weekends to some of the um live role-playing events that i do and i was at one last weekend and i spent most of it unfortunately sat in front of my laptop typing because some of the ideas and the scenes and the story for labor Revolution kind of just popped into my head and um, I couldn't stop typing so uh, I was incredibly antisocial and uh, I did see a lot of my friends and I did see you know a few of the people there and everything else but yeah, no, you know Stephen King always says if uh, if the muse comes along, then um, you don't ignore them. You just let it go, and you uh, you know you just get the the stuff down. So yeah, that's pretty much what I've been doing. Uh, also doing some more music. So uh, Chris has got a couple of pieces for Escape Velocity, and we've you know extended a couple of pieces from um, from what I had before. Trying to finalize the script for the Labour Revolution film. A few other bits and bobs as well with you know with some other projects outside of here. So yeah, you know all all very busy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but with the live-action role-playing, isn't sitting there and
0: typing away on a laptop a bit sort of incongruous to your fellow te- uh, teammates or
2: players? Uh, it's fine when you're in your own tent. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's not so good if you go down the tavern and, uh, you know, are sat there in your jeans on your laptop whilst everybody else is in costume. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I was kind of a bit, um, a bit antisocial, really. I've got 14 chapters down now, which if you'd spoken to me about this a month ago, I would have had maybe two. So, you know, that kind of gives you an idea of where I'm at. Perfect. Have
0: you got any sort of idea of um, how many chapters the book's going to have a, when it's yeah, finished? Or?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think, I think so. I think probably we're, we're looking at probably 36, maybe 37. So Wow, okay. You know. So maybe halfway in theory. Well, you know, about third, about a
0: third of the way, I think. So, John, what about you?
3: Yeah, I've um, been playing around with code. Battle for Lave Station is still ongoing. Uh, It's been slowed up a little bit because of uh, work commitments, real life. Uh, And also I've had to keep up with Escape Velocity. I didn't want to fall behind with that. And also the writer's interview, which I highly recommend. But I've also been busy doing things for LaveCon, which uh, I'm sure uh, our listeners will remember from the last podcast. It's really taken off in a big way. It started out, obviously, it's just meant to be the four of us meeting up and having some food and drinks, but it's actually turned into quite a sizeable convention. So it's been opened up to the public, and we're now in the position that we have to do something to entertain all these people. <laughs> so um, so this is what's been confirmed. We've got a function room at the Thistle in Cheltenham on the 29th of June. We're going to be there. We can confirm some fiction writers are going to be there, too. In particular, Drew Wager, this week has caved into a massive amount of pressure and decided he's going to join us.
0: He's made himself very, very unpopular with his misses, but we are very grateful for Drew for, uh, for cashing in all of his uh, brownie points and coming to the convention.
3: There's also going to be uh, Dave Hughes, of course, creator of Elite Encounters, the best dating service in federal space. <laughs> Darren Gray, and maybe, we'll see, maybe some other people. And the big news is that we're also going to be joined by Michael Brooks for a couple of hours. Woo! He says he's happy Yay! to come along. He's going to come along and do a Q&A. So I think anyone who is a real fan of Elite Dangerous will want to be there. So I'll put it out there now. We've got 10 tickets left as of this evening, or around, around 10. It's not far off. So if you're desperate to come, you need to go and snap one of them up because I think the only way that we can sort of increase the venue size or whatever is if we get like a lot more people. Go and get your tickets ASAP great stuff.
0: And I suppose we should also point out that obviously we talk a lot about Michael in terms of the development side of things, but I think sometimes we forget that he's also going to be one of the fiction writers himself. So something else that we can ask him about at, at the event as well, I'm sure. It'd be quite interesting to get some information about the you know, the book that he's writing.
3: Yeah, but I think um, <laughs> nobody's really going to ask him about his book, are they? <laughs> let's, let's be honest. I mean, I kind of feel sorry for him in that respect. You know, he's probably looking forward to writing this book, but um, people are just going to be asking about what's going on at FD. Poor him, I guess. And also this week, Fazza and I recorded the new Conclave episode, episode 2, which I believe will probably come out after this podcast, so I will say it now. It's something to look forward to because I think it's provided a lot of heated debate, and I think it's a, a very interesting episode.
0: Great stuff. Well, as I say, it's been quite a busy week, so we'll go straight into the development news.
1: The Federal
2: Navy. We want you for Adventures Unlimited.
1: Just last week I was mixing sidewinder Slammers at a seedy spacebar. I wasn't even pilot registered. And now I have a ship and a basic starting mission for the Federal Navy.
2: Owing to recent actions in the Lave region, the Federal Navy now seeks to recruit another 1,000 entry-level pilots. We need you to add your strength to our military machine.
4: I'm gonna see the galaxy.
2: We have missions for all pilots, regardless of combat experience or flight hours. Come and talk to us, and we'll get you on the military ladder. Join the Federal Navy. Make a real pilot of yourself, or die
5: trying. Wait, what's that?
6: Is that is that a ship coming? Are they looking for me? What do they?
0: And this week, to start us off, we have the final feature request update from Ashley Barley and we should probably say at this juncture, thank you very much to Ashley for stepping in last week. I think he did an absolutely great job considering that he was only expecting to come for an interview and ended up filling one of the uh one of the host chairs so uh thanks again, Ashley, for doing that. Feature request update number fourteen is crime and punishment, and some of the things some of the topics that have been discussed in here. <laughs> The first one being, are the police or are the um, law enforcement agencies going to have blues and twos in the new game? Developers have basically said that there's going to be some sort of visual indicator present, but the blues and twos seems a bit kitsch, so probably won't be that.
1: I-, I like that, that it was it was good enough for the new Star Trek movie, but... It's not good enough for Elite Dangerous.
0: Well, yeah, but obviously Elite Dangerous is far more realistic than the new Star Trek movie. You know, the, the, the plan for Elite Dangerous has always been that sort of gritty, real-life feel about it, so yeah, that's why we have the mag boots.
3: And also, Chris, you've got to be careful that um, you know not everyone's seen the new Star Trek movie. Don't give away spoilers like that.
1: I don't think hovering police ships really counts as a spoiler. <laughs> uh, I could spoil the, it massively with one word, but I won't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. Just thought, yeah, know, there there will be some people that haven't watched it. I know exactly what you're going to say, so let's n- <laughs> off and go into the the other aspect of this, which were people who were saying, will they have uh, jamming technologies? And the answer was basically yes. They can confirm that drive jamming technology is going to be available in Elite dangerous. So yes, this could potentially be available to the police. So if you do get yourself into trouble, uh, the the police could potentially stop you from hyperspacing yourself out of it is quite an interesting idea
2: yeah absolutely it's also very interesting for the fiction writers to be honest because having just spent the best part of a week going through several space combat scenes and having people escape or or you know or sort of get away through through hyperspace knowing that that's completely confirmed that that kind of technology is going to be available it you know it obviously it means that you have to plan for it so to make the scene realistic uh,
0: the next question was about what sorts of punishments are going to be given out to players. There was a, a theme about, you know, what do you do with griefing players? And one inquiry put to developers was uh, whether or not they were going to have the ability to demote players to traveling only within a specific system. Now, that idea was poo-pooed by the developers. But I'm a little bit disappointed because there's nowhere in this crime and Punishment update where it actually confirms that there will be an orange Asbo signwinder, <laughs> which is uh, the thing that I'm really <laughs> looking forward to most in Elite Dangerous.
2: Just to, to come in on that one, I think, to be honest, and I think John probably agrees with me on this. Um, we're we're kind of seeing an awful lot of people very, very worried about player versus player fighting in this game, and I I get that um, you know that they would be worried be, based on other games. But the the whole sort of tiering system with the um, the idea of avoiding people and what have you, and and you know, and people who aren't popular ending up because they've got bounties on them, ending up in the frontier. That that actually it's quite a natural system to. To encourage and to make sure that people don't um, don't have that risk unless they they go and look for that risk. So I, 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 you know, I'm kind of a bit perplexed as to why people are quite so worried about it.
3: Yeah, you should have definitely been on the conclave last night, Alan. I dropped I dropped your name in there.
2: <laughs> in what way did you drop my name?
3: Um, in a good way. Um, ages ago, you were talking about you know the old RPG stuff and yeah. players enforcing it themselves rather than putting loads of rules in. So I, I reiterated that.
1: I think you'd be surprised. Actually, there's there's kind of um, there's a blog post that I wrote a while ago uh, off the back of the game Infamous, um, which was a game where you it was one of these things where you could kind of choose to be like a good guy or a bad guy. But the thing that was interesting about it was that you got different PlayStation trophies for plot events depending on if you chose to be evil or chose to be good. And what it meant was you could look at the distribution of trophies across players and see what people had chosen to do. And one of the things that actually surprised me the most was if you looked at the stats, something like three quarters of players chose to play that game as a good guy. And you think actually you're given this chance here to role play something and and be kind of counter to everyday life and actually you know the default setting for people is to kind of almost stay within the rules and be the good guy in games so i'd be i'd be interested to see how much actual you know banditry and piracy there is you know for all of people's talking about oh i'm gonna do this i'm gonna blow this up and all this sort of thing i'm wondering how many people will actually do it
2: well it's also the fact that if you reward conformity you know if you've got all these these big interstellar factions and these big corporations sitting there and saying, actually we're gonna give you uh, shinies for doing little jobs for us and doing other bits and pieces for us. You know, you establish a reputation with that corporation. If that reputation's put at risk by the fact that you go and rob someone, then you're less likely to do it. So actually people, you know, the the materialistic gain becomes a reinforcer as well. So you know, mm-hmm. I kind of I, I really am not understanding. I think that there is I think there is an inherent culture of of griefing problems in other games but i think that the design of this uh, the design of the campaign has been structured quite carefully to essentially to you to write the griefers into the game So that they actually have a role, which is the very dangerous frontier, which, you know, because it's so large, it means, again, they're going to be quite sort of dispersed or they're going to be concentrated in one or two systems, which is easy to avoid. So, you know, it seems very, very simple to me.
1: One of the concessions that I guess they've made, though, to kind of designing griefing out of the game, I think, is in that decision not to allow players, certainly at this stage, to destroy space stations. Because I think that is potentially the the problem that you would have with griefers that you know you'd get people that just kind of made it their whole game to just destroy the infrastructure of everything that's going on, and I think. Well,
2: no. To, to be honest, they've designed griefing into the game. I don't think they've designed it out. But um, where it gets uh, problematic, I mean, if um, if you go back to Ultima Online. Ultima Online when they they put that together and originally you had someone immediately get in and and kill the the main NPC, which, you know, because they they kind of exploited a loophole in the code and then they, you know, everything went a bit nuts. So I think they have deliberately designed it so that people can play those kind of characters, but there is a very clear indication of exactly what will happen to those kind of characters because the the system is structured that they will end up in the borders and they will end up out there where you know where the, the sort of the feared gunslingers would end up in the wild west which i actually I, I think is brilliant so let's not worry about it let's drive on okay driving on to
0: reputations then so this was just a question relating to how the authorities and various factions react to your actions in the game um some people want to know if it would be a dynamic reputation system that followed you wherever you went what the developers have basically said is that you know factions uh, reputations will basically be faction based so you know, if you do something wrong in the Imperial world, that's pretty much not going to make any difference to the Federation, etc., etc. Which I think we already knew from uh, from earlier discussions, didn't
2: we? Yeah, pretty much.
0: Okay, so that'll do it for the feature requests. it be interesting to see actually what Ashley's bringing out next, because he said that is the last feature request updates on the show last week. He did say that he was going to replace that with a different feature, so we'll look out for that in the future. And move on to the DDF proposal. This is actually another one that we spoke about last week. This is the multiple ships proposal, which has been revised. And John, do you want to just take us through what's been...
3: Yeah, the, just the small changes is they've basically confirmed that players will be able to have an unlimited number of ships. Whereas before they were saying, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Should we put some kind of artificial cap on it or not? They've said you can have as many as you want. The other thing that they've confirmed, which we mentioned last week, I don't know if it's because they listened to us or someone else on the DDF <laughs> said it, um, <laughs> but that if you look after your ship and you t at it every day, um, you'll get a better trade-in value when it comes to um, upgrading your ship. And the other big, And the big one, for me was that there's going to be multiple garages for you to store your ships in. So originally they were talking about one location where you could store them. Well now you can have multiple um, and I guess that means you can build in some kind of strategy where obviously you're going to leave your exploration ship in one of the outer, outer systems Um, and then, you know, you'll have your separate trades ship maybe working in the inner systems and things like that. So, yeah, it adds this extra level of um, complexity and strategy to it.
0: So I'm assuming that you would probably then also have a ship for going between ships, maybe something like a blockade runner or something that's fast and maybe stealthy just to get you between your your different garages.
1: Well, exactly, yeah. I think it makes sense to not have a cap on the number of ships you can own because at the end of the day, gameplay-wise you can only fly one of them at a time. So I don't think it's really... I was thinking about it off the back of the, the last podcast, listening to it, about whether or not I thought it would be a good thing to say, well, you know, you can have, you can have like three ships at a time. But I think on the basis that it, it is a game where you are just flying one ship, you know, hands-on... Um, I don't think it really makes all that much difference.
0: We've discussed in the show before about the fact that you're quite a quite an achievements whore in terms of you know, you always want to have <laughs> quite you want Less Less of the, the
1: achievements. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you want to collect all the various different achievements you can from a game. Yeah, I know certainly on um, in EVE Online there's people out there that have to have at least one of every ship that's available in the universe. And there will be people that play Elite Dangerous and want to do the same sort of thing. Now obviously the, the caveat to that is the fact that if you own these ships you will have to pay rent in the garage for them as well. So there will be a revenue implication to how many of these ships you have at any one time. But no, I think, you know, if you're rich enough to have a a wonderful collection in your garage, then why can't you?
3: And of course, you know, um, that ongoing cost of keeping all the ships is another sink in the game for, for you know, for the economy absolutely
0: uh, which is something that came out of the you know the background simulation the fact that you know you need a way of making sure that people keep on passing with their money
1: so garage owner is the business to be in really you know once the game's bedded in for a while and everyone's got their collection that's the career to move into
0: you're you joking, so. aren't you? The best career to have is to be a seller of tea cut and just you know, make sure you keep on following John Stabler around the galaxy.
3: Mm-hmm. Not to forget, there was also mentioned in this um, that depending where you keep your ships, if you keep it in a central place somewhere like Sol, um, somewhere that's considered upmarket, then the, the price for storing your, your ship will cost more than if it was on some barren rock somewhere in an, <laughs> in an outer system.
0: And wasn't there yeah. also something about... Um, getting your ship transferred to you as well, and that you had to... You know, the ship would only be automatically transferred to you if it could go through a route that was completely safe.
1: And that's an interesting point, because... Obviously, you guys talked last time about, um, I think Alan was saying about, you know, how you could have gameplay out of the fact that your ship might be attacked en route. But there's also the practical thing of, you know, would it be irritating for you to just order something that's a convenience and for the game to turn around and say, oh, sorry, it's at the bottom of the English Channel kind of thing. And Uh, Yeah, you kind of feel like it's a little bit of a sort of workaround to say your ship can only be transferred if it can go through systems where there would be absolutely no reason why it would be destroyed.
2: I think the unfortunate problem there is that implies that there are systems where there is no combat.
1: It depends if it's actually doing it. Do you know what I mean? Whether the game in the background is actually making your ship take off and come to you or whether it's just a sort of we're transferring this ship from one system to another and we're justifying its safety on the basis that it's coming through well-policed systems. Whereas, if yeah, they to yeah. the background to have it actually physically take off and come to you, then they can't necessarily control whether it's going to be attacked.
2: But but that's that's exactly my point. Really, is that unfortunately this this closes a loophole, or at least implies there is to be a close of a uh, of a loophole, which actually gets rid of gameplay. Because you know, my point was that you know, much as it is a bit annoying if you know i order my my ship to to come to me at a particular um at a particular space station and you know it gets halfway there and then it's attacked much as it's annoying if i lose it at the same time i have to muster up and go rescue it so um, but
1: it it does come back to that thing though about whether you're playing the game that you want to play or whether you're playing the game that emerges around you and i think this is where you know Obviously, you know, you've said about their people being concerned about the player versus player thing. But I think that is ultimately what the split is. It's not necessarily about player versus player. It's more about the fact that gameplay is about rewarding player action and player choice. And if as a player you are trying to do a particular thing and you are persistently stopped in making the choices that you want to make it's maybe a less less enjoyable game you know for you because you have certain things that you really want to achieve and if something else whether it be a background simulation or or other players or or you know other things is taking your game away from you then i can see how that would maybe feel less rewarding okay <laughs> no, no, I know you don't agree. I know you don't agree.
6: No. I don't
2: think I don't think you agree with your own argument, to be honest. Because um, because at, at the end of the day, you know, if you if you're going to be in a game with other people, sometimes they will succeed and you won't. Things are competitive. I think there is a sense of achievement. Much as it, you know, some people believe that to be small-minded. Um, in the you know a, a sense of superiority having achieved something over somebody else but that that's in, ingrained within society and it's ingrained within you know it, within every aspect of society I'm not saying I'm I'm not an ultra competitive person like you know I'll, I'll I'll get that out of the way now I want to achieve things based on the fact that other people um, are trying to stop me from achieving them. Because then that means the achievement is worth something to me. I, I'm I'm very keen. A lot of the time, I'm very keen to be a hero. If there are villains looking to stab me in the back, you know, or poison me, because other you know, that means that, that being a hero is worth something. That it affects something. I don't agree with with a plastic hero, which is effectively you know achieving your story on your own ends with no danger. I think that's 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 rubbish. And and I'm afraid that I don't see any enemy that is designed within a computer game that is not, you're not a person, I don't see that as a real threat.
1: No, no, absolutely. But the the example I'd give you, though, is if you wanted to take on this, the kind of explorer and kind of frontiersman kind of role within Elite, we've already talked about the fact that the policing system in-game is effectively going to push pirates and criminals out from the core to the frontier. You've basically got to fly through the frontier to explore... The reaches of space, and in the reaches of space, the only people you are likely to meet are going to be pirates and criminals. So I guess what I'm kind of saying is, if I see a game like Elite Dangerous and I think, "Wow, that universe looks really beautiful," what I really want to do is get in a ship and just go and explore the lonely reaches of space. If I can't get more than ten light years from the frontier without being ganked by by a group of player characters. For me as a player, that's going to drive me offline because it's yeah, but- not about a competitive experience. It's about going and exploring the boundaries of the game world.
2: But I've already, I've already countered that by the fact that the game is that big, the universe is that big, that actually the, you know, the amount of people who are going to be pushed to that frontier are either going to be concentrated <laughs> in one or two places or they are going to be so disparate across these places that they're going to be a very, you know, very unlikely thing that you will meet. So I think, I think the thing is designed out of the way. I don't think you need to worry about it.
0: We don't know exactly if it's going to be designed out of the way, but certainly it was, it's, it's an interesting sort of topic to be discussing because, again, it did come up in the Conclave yesterday. And one of the things that we did mention was the fact that Frontier Developments have designed stealth was in the game. So if you are worried about, you know, either jump gates or systems being basically sort of camped out by pirates, then you know, there is the possibility that you'll get a blockade runner-type ship so if you needed to get through to the frontier, then your ship is going to automatically be one that is faster, able to outrun those sort of ganking pirates. I mean, if you could sort of circumnavigate a group of um, camped-out pirates by literally almost sort of crawling past and powering down your systems and everything else, would that not add more to the game a sense of oh, of you know, that danger? that would totally. No, no, that mm.
1: would totally. And I would want, you know, as as a as a player wanting to play an individual kind of game, I, I, I want the kind of the tools and options to fight you know in the way that you know in the way that suits me as a player if i've got a if i've got a big hulking ship that's not designed for kind of dog fighting and uh, and getting into it because i want to go and explore i don't want to be put in a situation where, where that's the only method by which i can deal with this i mean i think i mentioned somewhere in a, in a forum post that as someone who like if you're going down the route of wanting to be a miner and a trader your most powerful weapon is money. And I would want to be able to pay for escorts, automated defences, all these sorts of things that mean if I'm attacked, I shouldn't even really have to lift a finger because my game is in the resources that I've created and the money that I've accrued.
3: Just just using your example there, Chris, and what Alan said, I think that if there's going to be any kind of worries about bumping into um, nefarious people that are going to want to kill you they're going to be concentrated in places where there is something to be gained so for instance pirates are going to be on um, they're going to congregate around you know, trading routes around somewhere where there's well-known natural resources, things like that. Very true. If, so if you're just out exploring, there's, very, there's probably a much less chance of you bumping into one of these people. So I don't think that you will necessarily have to invest in a ship that is, you know, has a, a low heat profile or something like that, or you will have to fly overly cautiously. I think that naturally... You know the the explorers are not going to bump into the pirates as much as other people who are trying to tap into resources.
1: I think it's the miners that are going to have the biggest problem because. Uh, but I think going back to Alan's point, I think that is right. There is only value in being a successful miner if there is someone wanting to take that stuff away from you. Otherwise, you are just literally sitting, you know, watching a hold get full of a, full of uh, full of <laughs> units and then going back and selling it. I think that kind of game is more interesting. If there is a threat there whether it's players or or, or npcs or however you look at it
0: moving away from trying to avoid pirates then let's move on to the next topic in the ddf which is actually bounty hunting so going after pirates chris this is rather short and sweet. So do you want to just sort of read us through it?
1: To become a bounty hunter is a career choice in Elite Dangerous. It is also a way to make money that any ship can participate in. Bounties can be collected by any player that kills a ship with a bounty on their head. To become a truly skilled and effective bounty hunter, a player will need to have the right ship and the right equipment for the job. Uh, So key characteristics of a bounty hunter, they hunt and destroy ships to collect their bounty reward, travel large distances to track down targets and prefer ships with a large hyperspace range to help them do so. When they attack a target, they want to destroy them convincingly. They prefer taking better weaponry over heavy armor that might slow them down and limit their ability to chase targets. They like the ability to identify and investigate their targets without getting noticed. They rely on ships that have good heat management and stealth ability. They require good scanners and similar equipment not only to locate and discover targets, but also to size them up to find weaknesses. They prefer the biggest and best weaponry going for effectiveness and heat efficiency wherever possible, even if it means paying through the nose. Bounty hunter ships and equipment are top of the line and expensive to match, but the rewards can be large. However, we do intend to make sure that their overall profit gain is balanced against other player roles. Being a skilled bounty hunter uh, involves getting kills without response from the law, ambushing targets when they are not in factional sanctuary, getting kills without taking damage, making the best use of their weapons and stealth to finish a target before they can properly retaliate, killing targets with large bounties, There will be a fairly wide range of targets for a player to choose from based on their ability and their ship. Top end targets can be found flying in some of the best ships in the game, but will take a truly skilled bounty hunter to take them down. Planning kills in advance to take advantage of weak spots in a target, using stealth to scan and weigh up a target before attacking to give them the advantage. Bounty collection. Player discovers a bounty and this can happen two ways. Scanning another ship with the appropriate equipment to reveal that they have a bounty, or finding a bounty listed on the bulletin board, giving them a rough location. They will have to scan again to confirm that they have the right ship. Once they have confirmed the ship they are targeting has a bounty, they are free to engage. Once they have killed their target, they receive a bounty chip for that kill. They can then return to a station and cash it in for the reward.
0: Cool. Cheers for that, Chris. Just from listening to that... I think I've got a complete misunderstanding about bounty hunting in general here. I always thought that bounty hunters were literally just something that was you know, mainly PvP, and I'm assuming from this that you're going to be able to sort of sign up for um, for NPC non-player controlled bounty hunting missions as
2: well. Yeah, no, it was always considered that it was going to be completely structured uh, along those lines, in that you would have NPCs, you would have players. You know, the the idea really, and I think this is a good plan, is that you know players effectively aren't. They're not treated within the game itself. They're not treated, or I'm hoping at least, not treated differently to NPCs. They may be treated, you know, they'll be categorized in terms of their threat rating and everything else. But it's nice to see the two things treated, you know, through similar mechanics, if you see what I mean. Because by doing that, that that kind of makes the game world more uh, more immersive. Because it means that the NPCs are, you know, given the same kind of status as... players i think that's really good obviously a player is going to be a much more difficult target than an npc um i would have thought but um you know i mean that's that's by the by
1: and it's interesting that they've added the kind of the procedural side to it that you have to kind of check that there is a bounty then scan the ship and then make sure before you go in to kill them that the bounty is still active and it's kind of making it more analogous to you know the role that that real life bounty hunters have to do that there is this relationship between people who work as bounty hunters and you know law enforcement uh, in the states um
2: are we thinking of commander dog
1: come on <laughs> totally totally dog the bounty hunter <laughs> actually you know what I was having, I was having horrible images of midnight run going through my head um, but you know i mean there is you know it it is an, it is a kind of analogous thing and and it definitely does sound like you say more from this document that there are there are perhaps you know missions in mind involving npcs the the one that came into my head was the the idea of you could have quite an interesting plot mission whereby because they're saying about how the, the targets have some of the best ships in the game um, you could almost have like a plot mission whereby the chairman of you know one of the big corporations has just gone rogue and been declared like a bounty's been declared on him and everyone's kind of racing to take down this kind of escaping ceo in this massive ship that's just brimming with weaponry.
2: You know, there's plenty of uh, of different scenarios that could come out of this. The nice thing, of course, again, and you know, this relates back to uh, to the point about you know player versus player action, is that again, you're you're seeing ways in which the game is designed to procedurally deal with different types of player behavior as well as NPC behavior, um, which I think is great.
3: It could easily, um, um, on one bulletin board on in one part of the galaxy, it can have an ad for um, a bounty, um, like a hit, an assassination on, on, say, some dignitary or something who's leaving a planet at a certain time. But then on the other side of the galaxy, perhaps there's going to be um, the opposite mission. There's going to be a protect the target mission.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, no, totally with you there, John. I think, I think that's, you know, that's exactly the kind of design we want to see, isn't it, really?
0: So I was going to say, in terms of um, unique design, Chris, the, the mission that you've just mentioned there is actually uh, one of the missions that crops up quite a lot within EVE Online. So it will be interesting to see what will be unique and new when it comes to sort of like your mission chains within Elite Dangerous and where they're going to get their inspiration from and trying to avoid the, you know, the pithole of being there, done that sort of thing as well.
3: The other good thing about this, um, it it was a good strike of balance, the fact that bounty hunters need to scan a ship before they can see the bounty, because I think it would be a bit unfair, it would be tipping the balance in the favor of the bounty hunters if they just entered a system, checked on their scanner, and then there's a big flashing light in the corner saying, hey, there's a pirate on the other side of the system, go and intercept him. I think that would have been a bit unfortunate for for pirates, Um, but I think this is a good balance.
0: I wonder what they're gonna do, obviously they're scanning a ship, but obviously you're gonna to want to be able to recognise that ship. So in terms of like the, the bulletin board, will it show you a picture and it's the other ships gonna have sort of specific decals that you can you can recognise from a distance and then go in for the scan, or do you have to literally scan all the ships that are queuing up waiting to dock at the space station?
3: Well I'm assuming that ships will have like a registration number and a name or something that you'll be able to pick up. That I mean that information you will be able to see perhaps from a distance
0: yeah and in fact that's the way it worked in frontier isn't it?
2: You've also got you know the possibility i mean wing commander had the whole thing with um with idents didn't it so you connect it up with you know you you put your your missile targeter on something and then after about two or three seconds the information on that particular target came up so yeah
3: but also speculatively, I mean you could set your scanners, I mean say you're looking for a, a medium-sized ship like a cobra or something. You know, you could set your scanner to say right, show me ships in the system that meet this kind of specification or something.
0: Yeah, no true. This was a car- this was a, a career that I wasn't actually all that interested in because I assumed incorrectly by the looks of it that it was something that was come later down the line once you've accrued a certain amount of money and you could sort of build up a decent ship to go bounty hunting with. But from what this proposal said, obviously it's going to have tiered missions, so any ship can be a bounty hunting ship. It just depends on what level your target is that you're going after.
3: I think that they're going to try and have it so that all of the roles you can you can just go into from day one. And it's quite interesting to see, um, just briefly going back to the ship information, um, that you can actually get ships through mission rewards. So that in itself is going to change the dynamics of the game a lot because obviously in Frontier you could only get a better ship by earning money. Mm. Uh, which usually involve trading in the initial stages. It's interesting now that you potentially, for instance, if you want to become a bounty hunter, you can complete some simple mission, missions, and then very quickly it'll put you into a more suitable ship if you want to continue long-term in that role.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting sight. Yeah. So we're thinking at the moment the bounty hunting proposal looks quite good then.
1: Yeah, it does. I mean, if it's it looks like they're looking on ways of making it a kind of a worthwhile living to sort of go down this route and almost specialise on this route. I think I always felt a little bit with Elite and Frontier that getting bounties from killing other ships was sort of a little bit... You know, by the by, it was a little bit of pocket change um just to sort of keep things going.
0: Just an interesting point here, when they're talking about how you actually cash in your um your bounty, you will receive a bounty chip for a kill and then you return to a station to cash it in as a reward. Have we come across anything that uh, confirms that say a pirate comes into the system, bounty hunter's already made his kill. Pirate then kills the bounty hunter and then steals that bounty chip, which they can then cash in themselves.
2: That would be tricky because that would suggest that the thing was a physical object. I'm not quite sure how you could accrue a physical object by shooting down uh, an enemy ship. What I would have thought it was, was it was some kind of registered um, indication that you then um, you then go to the, you know, like, like, I don't know, like a vid recording of uh, of the kill, a vid confirm. You know, so then basically you go back to the space station and and play the vid to somebody, and they go, "Yep, that's fine. We'll give you a you know your your, your reward." If it was a object, how would you accrue the object in the first place from killing the bounty? Maybe it was in their sort of black box recorder. Yeah, but you know, again, how do you how do you acquire that then? If the black box black box recorder is blown up, how do? You it's acquire a black this box
3: recorder. From... It's it's invincible.
2: I yeah. Well, then then you've got to scoop it up, haven't you, or or, or whatever else. I, I, we'll have to see how they do it but the idea of it being a physical object that you have to accrue from whatever this uh this bounty is that leaves it to chance that the object could be destroyed or or that you could you know could not pick it up and then of course there's a then a the second chance that if someone attacks you that the object could be destroyed or they could not pick it up and so on and so forth i think it's more likely it's going to be some sort of confirmation
0: look at it this way alan if it was a black box recorder that you fuel scooped up think of a scenario where you've got someone who's having a massive fight with a very difficult ship with a big bounty on obviously they take some damage themselves and then just off screen waiting in the asteroid you've got a couple more pirates who are just waiting for those two the bounty and the bounty hunter to basically knock themselves into bits and then as soon as that bounty hunter has actually done his kill, then they literally just emerge and go after the bounty hunter to take that spoils. I think that's a great little story.
2: Yeah, no, I I I'm with you. Um it's tricky. I'm trying what I'm essentially what I'm trying to do is reconcile this with the proposals in relation to how the boxes work. Difficult one here, because actually I know a lot more about efp then um then i'm probably able to divulge on the podcast well
0: i'd say don't so, get yourself into trouble about it but <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe we can park it and come back to it when we know a little bit more then
2: it, it, it is tricky because the efp box is the idea is that the information updates continuously so how this chit works how this get this token and take it back to the space station works i don't understand
0: when you're talking about the efp box you're talking about the elite federation of pilots box yeah
2: yeah that's which is the the black box You know, so
0: Uh, I'm sure it will all become clear in the next uh, revised Bounty Hunter proposal. But OK, we'll move on from the DDF then and go into last week's newsletter. Okay, in newsletter number six, we have the redesign of a classic ship, the Eagle Mark III. We have the bringing back of some uh, old favorites, the Adder and the Asp. And a little bit more information on the Freighter number three that we've been following through. So let's start off with the Eagle Mark III. Now, again, difficult on a podcast to get across some of the Concept Dine uh, images that we've got here. But uh, again, this one actually looks, considering it's a independent ship, it looks almost imperial with the way that they've got like the aggressive wing swoop involved what do you guys
2: think i felt that some of the other designs some of the the other options for it, not the one that they've gone for were more imperial to be honest they had more of a, a sort of a, a bird of prey look the eagle if i remember rightly the eagle was the model of ship that the mark one was was designed independently the mark two was designed by the federation and it was bad and the mark three was then designed by the empire wasn't it <laughs> Are you asking <laughs> us? Was, I was
3: going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought it was an Empire ship. As yeah, well. no,
2: I'm pretty sure the Eagle Mark III is an Empire ship. It's not a. It's not an independent. The, there was a, a whole furore over the fact that they got the Mark II wrong because it was it was less powerful than the Mark I.
0: Well, in which case the concept art for this makes a lot more sense then. Uh, if it is actually a imperial ship because the concept art they do look very very deadly and uh, a complete sort of transition really from what we remember from the frontier games. This thing looks far more aggressive than the uh, utilitarian ship that we were all used to flying or from what was it? Ross
3: 154. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: Ross 154 flying off that planet with your with your eagle.
3: But if you remember, yeah, in the original opening credits you had the imperial courier and you had the Eagle Mark II's, both Imperial.
2: Yeah, here we are. In 3199, the Federal Military Research Director at Eagle Long Range Fighter Mark 2 entered service. The Mark 1 had been a revelation of military design for the Federation, so the development of the Mark 2 was a substantial media event. However, behind the fanfare, the craft was beset with problems. Somehow, the blueprints had also found their way to the Empire, and within a year, the Imperial <laughs> scientists had produced their own much-improved version. The triumph was covered exhaustively in the Imperial Herald. There you go. And that's how we got the Mark 3. That's how you got the Mark III. The Mark III was a stolen design. Fantastic.
0: What do we think of the design that they're going for? Because I must admit, the concept art looks very imperial, but the actual one they've gone for looks almost almost independent. It looks.
3: I think what what it is is you got the nod because obviously it's an imperial design, so it has the look but it also does have maybe a a, a nod to its utilitarian roots. And so I think that's why they've gone for this design rather than something that's more overtly imperial.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, we shall watch that with interest. These are the interesting ones, again, for the elite fanboys. So they brought back the Adder and they brought back the Asp. But what do people think of the, the pictures that we've got so far? Now, these are obviously in early stages of their concept. I think we can all agree these are things that we're going to recognise from uh, our Frontier and from our original Elite game as well. But the design that they've gone for here is, you know, is instantly recognisable really as the, you know, the adder and the asp that we remember from playing in both Frontier and Elite.
1: And it's interesting because some of the sort of work in progress designs they've, they've, they've come up with along the way. Don't look like the adder. They are still really nice, interesting ship designs. But mm. I think, I mean, if you look sort of down at the, I particularly like the yellow ones because they remind me of sort of Thunderbird 4, which was always a <laughs> f- favorite of mine. But yeah, those are great ship designs. But I think if that appeared and someone said to you, this is the adder, you'd say, well, it's not an adder. It's, yeah. it's a new ship and it's a great ship. So it's another one of those things that even though it was quite a simple polygon shape, It still managed to be very distinctive. And I think actually, you know, the new design they've settled on, it it has really cleverly taken that original shape. It is still that, that basic, you could still fit that basic polygon mesh around it, and it would fit. But at the same time, they've added in the detail that makes it look like a proper vehicle.
3: Looks ugly as hell, mind oh come on seriously
2: i i I like the adder i think i like it's great and i actually as soon as this newsletter came out and it was one of the things that you know i was kind of holding off on anyway with my writing was as soon as the newsletter came out i basically incorporated pretty much all of the ships directly into the um into the fiction Mm. because it's nice to have a set of ships that you know are going to appear in the game makes it very simple for you so i i stopped trying to sort of think well is it going to be a crate is it going to be a this is it going to be that i, I was able immediately because it came out almost the same time as i was working through a, a particular set of scenes with um with ships i was immediately able to go right there that, that one's an adder that's going to be a sidewinder that one's going to be an asp you know brilliant that'll do so, so yeah, no, I, I really like the Adder, particularly for the fact that it's not, you know, it was always the ship that wasn't as good as everybody else. It was, you know, it was a, a pirate ship that kind of was a bit of a multi-role and yeah, you know, I, I'd like to fly one.
0: So what about the Asp then? Cause this was a ship that I really liked from, fa- uh, from Frontier. It was yeah, yeah one of my <laughs> favorite ships.
2: My
1: well, absolutely. after Alan's comments in a previous podcast, I was looking at these designs specifically with a view to seeing had they had they reproduced that underpants aesthetic. <laughs> you know, and I, I feel like I'm not going to be able to properly engage with the design unless it still looks like a set of pants from the top. <laughs> and I think one of those designs does, actually, to be Can fair. You see so what
2: it's... I mean? It is, it is a pair of Y-fronts to look at from the top. It's a pair of
1: Y-fronts. <clears throat> i think some of those i think some of those definitely are um i don't know i don't know if people have got a i've got a favorite i I like the one that's um bottom right on the grid that has the slightly raised thrusters i think that takes the y fronts look away (laughs) from it a little bit i think the one immediately above that
3: well no because it looks like Y-Fronts with braces, maybe. Well, either that, or it looks like
0: Y-Fronts with something packing inside it. That's the thing. You know. You don't need to have that raised.
1: You could call your ship the full package. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right, before this degenerates anymore, let's just go straight on to Freighter, uh, freighter number 3, then, which they've uh, they've slightly changed the model on. Uh, and I have to say, I think it's a much bigger improvement. Now, this looks like something I would really, really like to fly. You know, they've moved the thrusters from the side up onto the top. So everything's much more sort of vertical up and down on it as opposed to sort of being a big fat sort of cow of a ship. Um, And I think it looks really, really cool.
2: Yeah, it's a lot less like the Battlestar Galactica uh, Raptor now. It it, it looks like its own ship, which I think is, is a good thing.
1: Yeah, there's something faintly sort of, um, I almost want to say Ridley Scott about it. There's something about the design of it. And the way that the cockpit is kind of stuck down sort of at the very bottom of the ship Mm. with all the cargo over the top is very utilitarian in the same way that if you look at something like the Nostromo from Aliens, you know, it's not the cockpit isn't the top mirroring a jet fighter or a car. It's just it's at the bottom because that's where the flight controls happen to be. Um, In fact,
0: the more you look at that, you're... (laughs) You say it's kind of Ridley Scott, but it actually looks almost like the head of an alien, if you take the cockpit <laughs> as being the alien jaw, and that, um, uh, you know, that top bit being the carapace.
3: <laughs> I mean, I looked at this, and I find it's, it's like um, the only description is it must be utilitarian, because you've got the thrusters, you know, you've got something that looks kind of boxy on the bottom set, and then on the top set, you've got the kind of, like a hexagon, or an octagon, and that kind of, the way that it's just been mished and mashed... It's, it's, it's like everything is just it's, it's that way because it needs to be or because it's the cheapest way to put it together yes the lowest bidder yeah yeah whereas the Imperials would never let that out of the hangar
0: no 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 that would be yeah that would just be blown up before it was allowed to be uh, have an Imperial badge put on it okay that's just about going to do it for the newsletter this week's travel comes in from Darren Gray and it's entitled Death to Slavers <laughs>
5: mamma used to take me to the market people there were nice but some gave me mean looks deaf to slavers they whispered once a scary man came with us don't worry said mamma we paid good money for him daddy's a patron now we need protection but when the bang started he just fell down and people pulled mamma away Death to Slavers, they shouted. They say Mama's gone now. I hope she comes back. I try being God, but if I don't work hard, will hit me. Death to Slavers, they still say. I don't even know who Slavers
0: is. And that was a special travel reading by one of our younger listeners, Reuben Green. Thanks very much for that, Reuben. Well, that's going to do us for the development news. After this, we'll come back and do the Community Corner.
6: in-system travel
4: Sometimes it takes so long
6: I have tools for all kinds of circumstances on my ship But the one thing I don't have a tool for is uneven town lines I just want to
4: look like a million credits but when you're living for days on a ship with
6: processed and filtered air, it really dries out your skin. I use Better Hope Golden Tan Cream. It just boosts your confidence. I don't believe that beauty is only skin deep, but now I really do look like a million credits.
4: Even my friends
6: mistook me for a genuine gold skin.
2: Jameson and James, Upgrades and services for your body.
0: Okay, so Community Corner this week. We're going to start Community Corner with quite a special feature. This one's come in from a fiction writer, Drew Wagar, who uh, has followed up from the conversation that we've been having on the show in terms of uh, what the youth of today are going to actually make of Elite Dangerous. So he sat down his two children, aged 9 and 14, and asked them the question.
4: So, welcome to an extra little piece of community radio. I thought I'd add a little bit extra here by bringing the younger generation into the fold of Elite Dangerous. I've brought my own two kids into the room. They are nine and twelve. I'm going to start with the youngest. Do you want to just introduce yourself to us?
5: My name is Josh and I like maths.
4: What is your favourite computer game and why?
5: Well... I've got quite a few. Minecraft, and I like Elite, even though I don't play it that much, but I really like it.
4: Okay, I'll switch to the older one, Mark.
5: I'm 12 years old, almost 13, though. You have to remember the 13.
4: You do have to remember the 13. How often do I get reminded by that?
5: Almost every day. Almost
4: uh... every day, (laughs) What is your favourite computer game, and why?
5: Mine would (laughs) probably be Black Ops 2. Black Um, Ops 2. Are you allowed to
4: play Black Ops 2, by the way?
5: Yes, I am.
4: isn't isn't, Isn't it an 18 game?
5: Yeah, I was just about to explain. Because we've turned all the blood and swearing and graphic violence and historical footage off. It's paintball, but people die.
4: Paintball, but people die. (laughs) (laughs) no blood. Fair enough. No bad
5: language. Okay. It's all beat out.
4: Well, never mind, because that's not what we're here to talk about. (laughs) No. What we're here to talk about (laughs) is, of course, Elite. Now, go back to Josh for a moment. What do you actually know about Elite?
5: Well... We've seen... How it developed over time, and how it started off with people making it in college.
4: Okay, yep. That would be um, David Braben and Ian Bell, yep.
5: And I like how it started off just lines, and then the graphics developed and got into Elite Dangerous that is being made.
4: Okay, so you kind of saw the original game with just the lines. What does it, what does that look like to you? Does it does it still look good, or does it look a bit kind of mm? naff? It looks, yeah. <laughs>
5: it looks naff.
4: It looks <laughs> It just looks naff. OK, yeah, that's probably a fair description. Yeah. What about the games in the middle? Do they look OK? I mean, they've got yeah, colour, like, the games. They the look
5: middle. OK. They look OK. I kind on. of like the explosions. Yeah. It's, it's not... It's
4: like So explosion. Explosions are a big thing for you. They're a bit more... <laughs> yeah, big, I like
5: explosions.
4: You like explosions. Cool. Mark, what about you? What do you know about Elite?
5: Well, I mean, the first game was made in 1984.
4: Hmm. done your history then. Oh, you saw it on the video. Right, OK.
5: <laughs> well, it did say the first Elite game was made in 1984.
4: So that was a long time ago for you, isn't it?
5: Yeah. Ancient um, mists of time. 16 years ago. 16, well, 16 years before I was born, yeah. and then it's 29 years ago.
4: Yeah, that is a long <laughs> time. Good bit, good bit of maths there. Yeah. What do you think about that original game with the lines?
5: Well, it doesn't look too bad, because I was growing up with videos, which are like
4: gone miles away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, videos, so yeah, you mean before DVDs and Blu-rays yeah, and stuff? Yeah, yeah. So you're kind of okay with some old school yeah, technology?
5: Yeah, yeah, I'm used to it. <laughs> 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 Okay, what about,
4: what about the games in the middle?
5: Well, I have Front uh, a Frontier, I don't know which one, but the yeah. First Encounters, yeah. I like that one because I like the way you have to ask for uh, takeoff clearance
4: Okay. Yeah. So the bit, yeah. the, you know, the computer. You know, you're playing the game and you have to kind of interact with the. Yeah, the yeah, game. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you like yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. That's interesting.
5: Um oh, on Elite Dangerous, oh, like the way, if you shoot a ship, you can um, see the shield when it gets hit; it goes blue. Okay. So this is yeah. on the.
4: This is on the Elite Dangerous. So this is on the video, the deck videos that came from the the Kickstarter. Okay. So yeah, you like, I like the way that you're shooting that it, at the shields You can see
5: where the shields are, and you can, okay. if you shoot it and the shields aren't there, you can take it down.
4: Okay, that's cool. Josh, I know you're a big fan of something on those videos. What's, the, what's your your favourite bit of those Elite videos?
5: Uh,
4: Plu, it's the... choo <laughs> The battles, well, you do like the battles, but it's the <laughs> missiles you like, isn't it? Yeah,
5: yeah. I I've always wanted homing missiles and games.
4: Homing missiles and games is good. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. So like Excellent. the Hellstorm
5: yeah. missile, Black Ops
4: 2. Yeah, kind of. So back to Black Ops 2 there for everybody. Yeah, that's cool. Now <laughs> big question here. Um, start with Josh. Do your school friends know about Elite?
5: Not that much. Would they have Pro- heard of it? Probably because I've told them. Yes. Probably because you told them. They probably. Forgot about it by now. But
4: they wouldn't have heard about it unless you would told them about it? Yeah. Okay, um, Same. Is that the same for you, Mark? Um, yeah? So even at the age of 12, elite not being talked about in the playground at all?
5: Not I try box. to talk about it. So they don't, they don't so even know what it is. They don't, they don't, so
4: they don't know what it is, that's quite interesting. And you presumably you talk about Minecraft, and you talk about Black Ops 2, Yeah, like Black
5: Ops 2, yeah. You but talk about Black Ops 2,
4: you don't talk about Minecraft. Okay. I don't okay, talk really.
5: about Minecraft. You talk
4: about okay. Minecraft. But none, none of your friends have heard of Elite, really?
5: No. Does I it? sometimes just say it in my head to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's yeah, because that's you're that's a nutter. If you look at other games, Compared to what well, Frontier, Uh, Uli and Frontier, compared to say Mario Kart, Yep, the graphics are a lot better. They've been made by people that have made other games that have been around when they were alive. The children were alive. Yep, and the Elite hasn't really. Okay. Because it's all been made before all the children now. So
4: all the old games are, the graphics are rubbish basically yeah. compared to modern. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Children, uh, obviously want to play games that they've seen look good other children children talking about? So if we could just get Elite out there, I think it, I think it would become really popular. Okay,
4: so that's quite interesting actually. So you think the old games are too old now? they the graphics are too bad. The Frontier's
5: yeah, on the edge. Like on the edge. The Lion Game. yeah See game. how
4: the, the Lion <laughs> Game. Like that would be the battle. original version <laughs> of Elite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Lion Game. Okay. Cool. Yeah.
5: The Lion Version. Of <laughs> 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 See how good it is. I'd like to experiment with all okay. of them.
4: Okay, so that's quite interesting. And you say Franchi Fr- is, is just getting there. It's just, just about on it. the edge. Yeah, he's
5: just about on the edge of good.
4: It's just about on the edge of good from the graphics. So, are the, the, the thing about Elite that us oldies like to talk about is that <laughs> Elite was very much about um, you didn't have a score, you didn't have missions, you didn't have anything particularly, you just kind of did what you wanted and yeah, you could go anywhere you liked. Now, most of, most of the games you like, play. A Minecraft. Bit, it's a bit like Minecraft, that's a very yeah, good you, do, you,
5: you just do, do anything. You can
4: do anything you like. Now, would you rather play a game like Minecraft, where you can kind of just do anything, or do you prefer to have games, you know, a bit like Mario Kart, where you've got to win a race, or in Black Ops 2, you've got to complete a mission. Which, which is more fun to you, you guys?
5: I think it would be one that you've got a, sh- a restricted amount of things to do.
4: Right, Because
5: okay. then you have to do them, and you get into it more. Because if it's just Minecraft, you just dig and you just try and find stuff. You build
4: more. So you think? you think there's a danger of, of a, a game that doesn't have any specific things to it? it might? Can you, yeah. well, what do you do next? What? You get a yeah, bored. Yeah,
5: you well, do, yeah. but, but jo- as, as, okay. as in Black Ops Two, you've always got next missions. You can you've redo got, missions. Yeah.
4: But what do you well, think, Josh? Because you, you seem to be thinking something different.
5: I like Minecraft because you can just do anything you want. You can build castles, and but I'd like a section where you could do missions if you wanted to. But if you didn't want to, you mm. just ignore it.
4: Because one of the things that you should be able to do in Elite Dangerous is you can kind of go anywhere. You're going to have a real galaxy yeah. then, and you can go anywhere you like and do anything you want.
5: But you, then you've got restrictions still.
4: Well, have you? What sort of restrictions do you think will there be there?
5: Well, you explained to me that in Uli you can do anything. You can kill whoever you want, but the police will come and kill you. But then you restart yep. and you've got everything you've had. But in Elite, it's more like real life. If you die, you have to start from the beginning again.
4: Well, that's in certain modes of the game. There's going to be a way to reload the game. That's like a
5: Minecraft where you have survival. Yeah, when you die, your stuff goes everywhere. And 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 you you can just restore. Okay. Or you can have hardcore, which you have to delete the world and build another one.
4: Start again. So I think Elite, they were definitely talking about options where you can start like that and then die. Or you can reload your game and keep going. Yeah, I think people
5: get frustrated every time they die and they've got a really good ship and then they have to go back to a sidewinder.
4: In in later games, you could change different ships, but in Elite Dangerous, you're going to be able to have. Loads oh. of ships, and you're going to be able to customise them as well. Yeah, and oh, so you said we have a, a
5: space garage.
4: A space garage, exactly.
5: Could you buy like space stations? I don't
4: good. think you can buy space stations yet. Oh, a
5: disappointment!
4: Anyway. <laughs> 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 disappointment. Okay, so Mr. Uh, it?
0: One for David Braben oh, there. Can we can we have
4: ownable space stations for Josh, please? Now, in Elite Dangerous, yep. you've seen yep. it. You know, it's spaceships fighting, really it's it. blowing things up. The graphics look really cool, yeah.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. What? are the kind of things that you would really like to see. what would make it kind of so cool that you'd have to go and tell your mates this is an awesome game this and this bit of it is just awesome what would um, what would that be
5: I like things multiplayer because you can play with your friends you can build things faster you should be, be like be able to hire things that would okay so multiplayer
4: good. so I could I could get my freighter out and you two could come into the game with your fighters and, and keep me company yeah would that be good
5: you could like Someone could buy a ship, and you could have different classes. So one could be a flyer, and they have more in, like, like in, a, advanced controls to flying. And one could be a fighter.
4: Oh, what you mean? More. So one person could fly the ship, and the other guys and could sit in the guns. Y- yeah. Oh, okay. So then, then they idea. just
5: fly, yeah, and the fun. others just shoot. Yep.
4: That's so a good So special. then
5: you don't. Then you don't have to worry about. Um, Lots of other keys. Yeah, lots of other keys. You've got so people doing it for you. Does that
4: worry you? That you know, flying the spaceship might be a bit complicated? Yes. Okay, so that's because a bit Because I
5: can't, I still I have I a yeah, leap for turn two press two you years. Press. Yep. I still don't get the way you press up, the ship goes down, and when you press down, the ship goes up.
4: Okay, so the flying thing yeah. is a bit weird. Because you guys are used to playing games on consoles and controllers, aren't you? Yeah. You play a few games on computers, don't I you? I play
5: quite a lot.
4: But us old-school people used to fly spaceships with joysticks.
5: Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I remember, um, it was ages ago, it was a flying game, and it was um split and I had it on my old Dell. Oh, the combat
4: yeah. flight simulator? Yeah,
5: oh, that yeah. was a joystick, and uh, I found that really...
4: Easy. Okay, so the joystick. I, joystick and I like things that make you feel like, you're, yeah,
5: like that the car, you car one had the where you the accelerator and the brake and you had the steering and, and, the and, brake, and the yeah, so so real, and So
4: that's quite interesting. So real controls actually would make the game better. Yeah, it okay. makes
5: you feel like you so actually. You could have the like a spaceship a control.
4: control. So that would be a joystick. A as we're thinking like yeah. a joystick with triggers on it and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it makes It gets you into the
5: zone
4: better. Okay, so we've got multiplayer. That's quite a cool feature. Being able to team up on a spaceship, the controls. Anything else that would be really, really cool about the game?
5: The that you could walk around your ship yes
4: walk around your ship yeah. and
5: um, when you're docked with say another ship you could walk in and take over that ship
4: okay so you'd like to be able to so, so you
5: could ship. go in
4: and you could so, so you want to be able to take your ship dock yeah. with another ship yeah Get down from the cockpit, walk through the cargo bay, go through the airlock, yeah. shoot your way into another ship, take shoot it over, take the
5: hostage. Yeah. and, and, when and you're then take doing, it over. And when you're doing it, you can. And then you you're in first for person.
4: In first person, so it's yes. like. And
5: you can, and so you 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 can zoom out. <laughs> okay. Out your
4: and so you could So you have a first-person game that allows you to take over other ships and do stuff. And customise
5: your character.
4: And customise your character. Okay. That so, that, custom, that so, so that's quite interesting. Customisation is that an important piece? Okay, Mark.
5: Uh, like certain games, like Minecraft, you have got different skins. Yep. Yeah. You, uh, Black Ops Two, you can change the gu- the color of your gun, to the surroundings that you're in, so it camouflages. So if you if you could change your ship color of your ship to stars,
4: okay, you could sort of hide. Yeah, in Yeah, so the... you, you could just sit there. <laughs> yeah.
5: But there's something on the radar, but they couldn't see you okay. because of so your camouflage. So sort of stealth ships yeah. and things like that yeah. would be quite cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what I'm seeing, what was I seeing?
4: So different colour schemes and things. Would you yeah. want because um, they told us we can upgrade our ships, you know, putting different engines female, on or If you're a female,
5: you can have female. If you're male, you can have a male. Okay. yeah, because so, like, yeah, uh, in Black Ops 2, you can't have different people. You're just set with one person. Okay.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So being able to customise lots and lots of parts of the game is kind of really good. Yeah.
5: yeah. And you can okay. customise your guns that you have. If on, if you, you have, have
4: them on the back, okay, uh, and okay. you could. So you want lots of different types of weapons? And you
5: can have, yeah. you, you can could buy ha- like masks. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Exactly what I was going to say. You could uh, have different shaped masks. Like you could look like a clone trooper, okay. sort of. For uh, and then your supply of options goes into there. Okay, so that's yeah. really good.
4: Okay, so. And you um, have an
5: astronaut.
4: Or yeah, you've things. seen, you've seen um, the old games. You've seen the videos from the new game. Yeah. If we were going to go into your school, yeah, yeah, either of your schools, and go. This is this game called Elite. What would you say about it? In a couple of sentences, how would you go, this is what it is?
5: It's a flying game where you can basically do anything, be anything, pirate, yep. <laughs> you you can can be be
4: robot. You can be a robot. You could be
5: a good. You could be a robot. And then be space like prisons. prisons.
4: Space prisons. That, that
5: would look Great like... Idea. And come to my comment when I said you could dock
4: So okay, and, and run OK, your on. chance. couple of sentences. How would you... Hitch I'd say elite this to your school friends.
5: Game started off as a line drawing game, yep. flying a rubbish ship around. Yep. With a. It's called
4: the Cobra Mark III, a rubbish ship. You yeah. That. <laughs> it's
5: actually
4: quite a good ship. <laughs> go on, go on keep
5: going. <laughs> uh, 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 I'd say i say this game has improved miles yeah. by, uh, over 29 years.
4: Why why should people play it? What would get them off away from their Black Ops Two and away from their Minecraft to play Elite? What would you say? Um,
5: it's know, more realistic
4: but is, is it is it the graphics is it the stories is it is it the is game what what is it that, that you think? could
5: be if you go to it's certain campaign. places there could be if stories. stories if you when you go yeah, to another you, galaxy a ship there could be a story about that galaxy okay
4: so something happens when you get yeah, there if you yeah.
5: if you get if you get to a burn up ship that you haven't destroyed yep you could um scan it and then yep. they and would it tell you what right Yeah, it tell you what had happened to the ship. Okay. And you could have like right. a, an engine center, and it would show you where the escaping ship went.
4: Okay, but so that would
5: cost a lot of money. So
4: there's lots of little little things you could do in the game to kind of make it exciting, and kind yeah. of like you could discover yeah. some wrecked ship, and is it safe to go and check it out or not? Yeah, yeah well, like
5: it, in Homeworld. Yeah, like yeah, they like had like a world. ship, and then uh, scouts or something come out.
4: Okay, brilliant. Yeah. Okay, guys, that's really really good. One last question. So, what do you think about your dad writing a book? for this game? This
5: is a hard question. <laughs> I actually don't know what to say now. Um, Go on then, Josh. It's pretty good cool because oh. it's our dad's. It's a book. Not yeah, many dads do it's, that. It's about um, a game. It's about flying. It's like stories. About killing stuff. Yeah, f- <laughs> blowing up stuff.
4: Blowing up, blowing up stuff. Blowing up stuff does seem to figure in you <laughs> a lot there, Josh. Okay, so blowing yeah, up stuff, like spaceships. Yeah, Okay, cool. Mark, Tinty are you cool? Tinty
5: what you thought? Um, it is. It is quite. It's quite unique to us because not many dads that have got two children, a whole house full of pets, <laughs> and a tutor can have time to write a book.
4: Okay. Yeah. Yep. So, so it's quite. It's quite.
5: Yep. It's quite and interesting because. I don't like writing, but I'm like the only one in the house that doesn't like writing. Because I find it really difficult because I've got dyslexia.
4: But you're still going to enjoy the story, aren't you? That's the main thing. Yeah. I tell you what, one thing that you really, really do like, apart from blowing <laughs> up stuff, is the um, is the Escape Velocity audio. Oh the, yeah, what do you yeah, think yeah. Of that? It's
5: amazing. It's amazing. I think he, he blew something
4: up. Yeah. So you really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, so he blew so something up. Which episode are you on at the moment? Have you just listened you to an episode? Listen thing. Thing.
5: to the whole thing. The whole thing, thing about seven times. You
4: listen to the whole thing seven times and <laughs> at and least. So um, message for Lave Radio here. If you were going to ask them um, about uh, when's the next uh, Escape Velocity coming out, how soon do you want that?
5: Tomorrow. tomorrow.
4: <laughs> okay. What is it about that story that's really good? It's
5: really like exciting and it it's about spaceships I like spaceships like and spaceships. blowing stuff up
4: and blowing stuff up.
5: <laughs> okay. It, it's just the way because I don't like reading. Yep. I find it a lot. I find it better to listen to stuff. It it, it just intrigues me more in. than reading a book.
4: All right. So it's, it it's really short books. It's really easily. nice to nice to pick up. Yeah, as and that would be
5: quite a long. Book if it was written into
4: a book. And what, what do you think about the characters in the book? You've got Commander Thane, who's the, the spaceship captain. Thane!
5: He doesn't like being called Commander.
4: <laughs> he doesn't, like. He doesn't, does not he? You're right. What about, OK, Thane, then. OK, what about... Um, and uh, So there's Thane, on. and you've also got um, the, the girl who's on board. So um, what do you think oh, about them? Sorry, okay. May, isn't it? Yeah. May, Is it May, yeah.
5: May, yeah. yeah.
4: So <laughs> as representatives of your generation, any final words you'd like to give the elite community out there? No, uh, our generation, uh, from 7 to
5: 18 just enjoy the game. Our generation. Beat the older generation.
4: Yeah, I'm sure you will. Do you reckon, in a one-on-one fight between an old school elite player and the new generation, who is going to win?
5: <laughs> That's quite a difficult one, because you've got crosshairs thing, and the people that play black ops too will know that they've got crosshairs and aiming things, Yep. and if you're usually good at aiming, you're I'm probably good at you're moving be, targets. You're going to be quite
4: good. So, yeah, do you reckon you're. Moving you're moving but I think are, you might
5: have a slight advantage. Yeah, you've lived longer, you've played games for longer.
4: You've played games for longer, so we've got, we got old school skills, but, but you've it, got reaction times. Yeah, yeah, we've got reaction times. Okay, so. Which
5: might be important if you're in a uh, oh, yeah. fight to
4: the death. Okay, guys, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you, you on the show. Yeah,
5: it's going to be epic.
4: It's going to be epic. Any last yeah. words? No, uh, I don't
5: um, think so
4: we We're going to blow stuff
5: up. We are going to blow stuff
4: up. I knew he was up. going to say that. OK, so that, that is the theme for today. As long as, <laughs> as long as in Elite Dangerous there is stuff to blow up, <laughs> so the younger generation up. is going to be happy.
6: Well, Thanks all, I and so.
4: we're counting out. See you later, guys. And we're back. OK, so the other part of uh, the
0: Community Corner this week is we've had some questions from the forum. And to start us off, we've got a couple of questions around the Escape Velocity show that Chris Jarvis produces. First one being... Chris, have you ever approached any local radio or national radio shows to see if they'd be interested in picking up Escape Velocity for broadcast?
1: I haven't. I think there's a, there's, there's a few issues around it. The main one being that, that to be honest, um, I think a radio station wouldn't be interested in it until it's kind of, you know, until it's kind of, the, the amount of being produced is kind of proven, or at least the story comes to a, a sort of conclusion. Um so I think it's the sort of thing that if if it were to be looked at, I'd be looking at it maybe after episode six, which isn't an end to Escape Velocity, but it's certainly a point where the story kind of pauses and takes a bit of a breath with still a very big cliffhanger. But but those six episodes are sort of something that a radio station could take and broadcast um, and, and be very happy that they weren't going to start broadcasting something that would just suddenly end uh, and not, not carry on in a sort of satisfying way. I think the main consideration really is around the fact that, you know, Escape Velocity is fan fiction at the end of the day. And it's something that if I were to do it, I'd want to do it very much, you know, having kind of spoken to Frontier about what they were happy with. It's, 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 not, it's, not, it's, it's not something that I've done necessarily so far.
0: OK, and second question for Escape Velocity. Have you ever thought of doing a binaural episode?
1: Yeah, this is a question about kind of producing 3D sound. The the short answer is no. I mean, in in the simplest possible way, and I don't know how people listen to Escape Velocity, it is kind of mixed in stereo, and there are a number of things I do, you know, thinking about actor placement and where things are taking place um, and trying to kind of pan it across the speakers. So you do get a bit of a sense, but but true 3D binaural recording involves a lot of quite specialist equipment, and it's not something that I personally... Have ever listened to anything where I've been terribly impressed by the effect? Um, it's certainly something that you have to listen to with headphones on. It you know it doesn't work over your speakers, and it's it's not a way that I listen to audio drama, and it's not a way that you know I necessarily know many people that do. Um, and I think it is one of those things where it'd be a really fun experiment, uh, but it would be a lot of work for not an awful lot of uh, an awful lot of return.
0: Okay, thanks for that, Chris some other questions that are directed mainly at the lay radio crew this one coming in from darren gray uh how do you think it will be getting to elite in the new game and having no goals left uh john what do you think of this
3: well the same with the previous games i guess that's just because you've reached elite doesn't mean there's not more money to be had doesn't mean that you've already got the best ship i mean i'm sure that um frontier developments are going to keep on bringing out content as part of updates so there's going to be new stuff appearing and also, they've, they're have they going to be putting a lot more effort into things like missions and to the different roles going on. And so I'm hoping that the sandbox element of the game can then take over. And especially with multiplayer, there's going to be community. So there's going to be other things to keep you in the game apart from just getting to the Elite.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a great answer, John. That's exactly what I was thinking. Obviously, you know, what Elite Dangerous has more of that the old games didn't is just this different career paths. And just because you've got to Elite in one of them doesn't mean to say there isn't a whole different avenue for you to explore in a different career. And that should keep you going for quite some time, certainly more than Frontier and the original Elite did. Well, talking about time, another question that we've got is how long do you think getting to Elite should take? And what's the right balance between uh, player frustration, a hard-to-achieve goal, and keeping game longevity and making the Elite status truly something special? Alan? Three or four years. Wow really (laughs) (laughs) that's specific or do you know something we don't
2: (laughs) no i don't know something you don't um the the key thing here i think is that um one of the you know i i go back to my own experiences of the previous games i guess a little bit and you plateaued a little bit at dangerous Mm. and i think actually what we have here let's remember what the game is called let's remember what we know the game is called elite dangerous so I think dangerous actually is a is a category that players should be able to get to fairly once they've achieved a certain amount they should get to there but actually then going on and being you know the the elite I think needs to take a lot longer 3 or 4 years no I'm you know I'm 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 teasing I'm 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 having a bit of a joke but uh, it certainly shouldn't be something that you can achieve you know, within the six, first six months of the game, within even the first year of the game, I would say that mm. you know that people ought to have to take a considerable amount of time and you know think very carefully in terms of all their choices to get to uh, to such a, a vaunted status.
1: With the the sort of demographic we've got for this game, people have commented on it before that a lot of the kind of people in their thirties and forties coming to this game are perhaps a little bit time poor. Yeah, and, and they, don't have much life video games.
2: they don't have much life left, so they could die before they get to Elite. <laughs> That's terrible, yeah. Absolutely, that would be awful for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In terms of it being a time sink, yeah, that, I completely agree. It might take the older generation slightly longer to get to Elite than maybe the people that are playing at university and, uh, and ploughing in stacks of lecture time into it. But um John you've played World of Warcraft how did the leveling system on that work to get to you know, like the ultimate level cap
3: The interesting thing about World of Warcraft is that it there was it was amazing how dedicated some people were to leveling up as fast as possible um and even if that meant grinding uh, and doing something very tedious just because it was the fastest way of getting to to where it's going to go. And I dare say there'll be people doing that in Elite Dangerous as well. There will be people who will say, well, if the fastest way to Elite is killing, um, I'm going to be a pirate, and I'm just going to go and do that. And you know in World of Warcraft, when an expansion came out, so for instance when the the level cap was seventeen and then it went to eighty, there was people going out and they were getting it done in two days. They just wow. constantly played it, you know, and they were playing through what potentially could be months' worth of content, but they were just skipping it in favor of just hitting the level cap so they could say that they're the first person to do it
2: i guess I guess though if you if you sort of set up that the absolute top category. Required a very specific set of achievements, um, so essentially you you know you have a gate block, as it were you know um, we know that Frontier have already said that some of their their factions are set up so that um you know there is a certain amount of human control at the the top end they're not they're not saying that there is one person who is the emperor who is actually sat in Frontier's of office but the point being is that you know there is a certain amount of of human control in the you know the sort of the shape of where the the factions may go i i i can't see why they couldn't have a, a similar situation or something like it with the elite ranking you know just looking at it and going okay well if someone gets there um they've got to achieve this right
3: but we've already been told uh, previously that it's no longer just strictly a ranking. It's now membership of a club. Um, and they've actually put in a lot of you know, requirements to achieve it. So it's not, I, I think that's their way of making sure that you're not going to get people rushing it just by repeating repetitive tasks. But you need to prove in some way that you are deserving of it.
2: Well, that's kind of the same thing, isn't it? So I, I think we're in agreement there. Um, yeah. Foz, did you say something about um, lecturers and students?
0: <laughs> no, of course I didn't.
2: <laughs> um, was there some sort of implication that you know I might be spending all my time on a computer game?
0: No, I think it was more the fact that your students might spend all their time on oh, a computer Oh, okay game.
2: then. Okay, that's fine. Okay, I'll, I'll let that one go. That's
0: okay. <laughs> uh, or I can only speak from personal experience of spending far too much time on computer games and not enough time doing my dissertation, that's all. Although that is oh, going okay. back some ten years.
2: Okay, that's fine. I, I, it, it sounded a little bit like you'd, you'd, you'd put a barb in and then immediately gone to John. Um, which <laughs> I was sitting there going, whoa, you know. No, uh, you no, know, no, I'm no, no just, Alan. If uh, I was to put I'll... a
0: barb in, mate, I'd, I'd, I'd hang around and wiggle it for a while before. Uh...
2: No, I thought I thought it was very clever. I just, uh, you know, I thought, um, oh, oh, uh, uh, as he just stuck the knife in and then 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 run away? That was really good. Um, so yeah, no, that's fine
0: alan you were talking about there how um you know the upper echelons are actually sort of going to have some human control element about them the next question we've got is about how high you can actually fly within the game itself you know what's the the ceiling for any given career pathway you know is it going to be possible to become the imperial emperor for example uh
2: something that somebody said once in a, a another game i once played uh that was designed as a sandbox idea they, they said um with an absence of injected content, would the players have the ability to have the biggest possible game levers? I, you know, if you worked hard enough, if you, you know, got it, collected all the uh, the coins, you know, did this, did that, uh, got all the players on your side, got them all to vote for you, blah 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 blah. Could you then yank the biggest possible game lever? I, you know, would they give you ultimate control over the world? Um, could you destroy the world, et cetera, et cetera and at the time the, the the guy who wrote the the thing said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we want to give you as big a game lever as possible, and they never did you know they essentially the the way the game was structured was that the players they had an illusion of um uh, uh, of incredible power, but really they they actually didn 't you know it was it was actually a um very sort of rigidly structured particularly at the top end um in this I think you know i mean they they've already sort of set up that the the main factions are a fairly cold war you know uh, entrenched but David Brayman has said in you know in several of the the development videos that um he wants locations to be dynamic in terms of enough players doing something to affect that that location so that it will change. I think the potential there is is massive i mean it, it is always a a, an ongoing and evolving process in that it's an ongoing and evolving process for players in that they're attempting to achieve things but it's also an ongoing and evolving process for the developer who's sat at the other end just trying to make a decision as to whether they're prepared to allow people to shape the thing that is their product as much as they they would want to Or, or are they prepared to you know not prepared to do that or are they you know, only going to allow them to have a limited sort of interaction with it. I don't know is, you know, the short answer. Um, I hope that players will be given a lot of latitude, but only with the proviso that the world is then not destroyed by uh, by players. Because, I, I, you know, I kind of don't want to see, you know, having put so much into Elite Dangerous and getting Elite Dangerous up and running, I, I, I wouldn't want to see Elite Dangerous then get destroyed by some player with a nuclear bomb.
0: <laughs> okay john what about you i mean what well, could you see what could you see as being the the, the upper echelons or the the top career path of uh, say a trader
3: yeah i mean it's it's all got to be relevant um and, qu- and probably quite similar to previous games this idea that you're going to actually reach some level of influence that affects the game on a global scale it's. It doesn't fit with the current, you know, the current concept. For instance, we've we've already discussed, you know, will people be able to have space stations or even build settlements on planets and be the boss? And um, we all kind of agree that it doesn't fit with the game. I don't think being the emperor of would be would fit with the game either. I think that players need to feel that they can achieve stuff, in so much that they can get more wealth, they can get recognition. But at the same time, I don't think that players can, you know, influence the universe in such a massive way such as that because it's a multiplayer game.
0: No, yeah, I agree. And you know, if you think about it, if you try and climb up, say, a corporate ladder or any sort of you know, career pathway, once you get to the top, it's far more about sort of management than it is about doing. So if you got to be the, the head of a corporation, I mean, what's the, the game for you then? Is it literally just going to be farming out missions to other pilots or, you know… I can't really see how that blends in with the, uh, the elite
2: franchise. However, if you were an individual, you know, who had a lot of friends who were playing the game and you were able to mobilize those friends to all uh, trade with a particular planet... In one particular way, so all flood that planet with one particular commodity, and uh, purchase from that planet another particular commodity. Um, would you not want to see something happen to the, you know, to the planet itself? See it affected?
3: Yeah, I, I think that still fits within, you know, the current understanding of, and what they want to do. That you can have and effect using the example of being emperor I, I think that's a bit too much because you're wielding a lot of power and then as foz just said you know is it going to become you know it potentially becomes a management game rather than a um an individuals taking actions themselves game
0: okay well that's going to do it for the listener questions this week so thank you very much to darren gray to psycho cow and also to bingo brewster for those questions Uh, All that remains for us to do is give a shout out to those people that have dropped us reviews on iTunes this week. That's Commander DK. And a special thank you to Julian F., who actually spent quite a lot of time writing a review on uh, iTunes, and we're very grateful for that escape velocity this week
1: no new reviews on itunes uh, but i did have in the week when i was away and you recorded the podcast without me there but i did have a great pm from stigron on the forums who just took the time to write to me and just tell me how much he was enjoying escape velocity really appreciate that really nice personal touch and i guess from my point of view a big thank you to drew you know for talking uh, in the audio with his kids about escape velocity it's really inspiring for me to hear kind of people sharing audio drama with their kids because I guess I listened to a lot of audio drama when I was small and growing up and it's probably why I love it so much now. And it's obviously particularly great that, you know, one of his kids struggles with reading. Um, so really engaged with the audio drama, you know, as a kind of storytelling that he might not otherwise feel that he can access. And that's obviously, you know, that's absolutely brilliant. Uh, and that kind of spurs me on to do <laughs> more more stuff and uh, hopefully the kids will enjoy it. And one
2: more shout-out. Last week, we asked who had registered the moniker of Commander-Commander on the Elite Dangerous database. We got a reply really nicely from Martin W. Great to find out that he's a listener. And hopefully, Martin, now that we've made you a little bit famous, when the game comes around, people start looking for you. Uh, if you want to
0: contact us, you can contact us at info at uh, On Twitter, we are at lay Radio. On Facebook, just search lay Radio. And if you want to record a message you can just email it into the email address for the show
6: attention attention second technician Forrester please report to the particle physics laboratory
1: the vending machine is broken the vending machine is broken
0: uh, f- f- I'm the faintest idea what that even is.
6: Computer, start recording. Recording. This is it. They said it couldn't be done, but I, Professor Sandy Brooks Braben Third, have done the impossible. Oh, how they laughed at me at the Institute. They said my work would never be released. Too much time had passed with nothing to show for it. But I am here today to share with you the secret of... Uh, ah! I said no interruptions. (laughs) Oh, yeah, hi. Got a call for a busted vending machine. Yes, yes, yes. Come in. Okay, so, uh... It's over there by the neutron hydro-expetrometer.
0: Uh, what now?
6: (sighs) Next to the quantum invertal analyzer. Uh... (sighs) Ha! Next to the thing that looks like a big floating disco ball. (sighs) Computer, continue recording. Recording. But I am here today to share the secret of... Stop the hammering! Space, this is the 34th century. There must be a better way to fix these machines than hitting them with a wrench. I, Professor Sandy Brooks, Braven III, can today reveal that I have safely created and harnessed the power of a black hole. Computer, activate the Singularity Stabilisers. Initiate Primary Power-Up Sequence. Calculate the Quantum Stasis Field and... Engage! Stasis field active and holding. Congratulations, Professor. <laughs> you see, I told them, I told them I would show them all. Professor, external sonic vibrations causing destabilization of the stasis field. Vibrations? Ridiculous, Not my friend. You, with the, the wrench, Sealing off lab ah. decay, attempting to power down. Ah. Attention. Attention. Engineering to the laboratory. John Stabler to the
0: laboratory.
1: Okay. um, Doesn't sound like Foz is coming back, uh, but I think that's going to do it for this week. Um, So all that's left to do is power down the Sidewinder and catch you next time.
0: Greetings and welcome to this the double digit episode of oh, we'll look straight away right <laughs> Greetings and welcome to this the double digit ed- <laughs> the demon debugger himself <laughs>
1: sorry <laughs> I'll leave that in <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: You can tell some of these things look better on paper and you don't actually know until you read them out that Demon Debugger is not a great
1: thing. Why, why do I feel like that? That's meant to be said with a Jamaican accent.
6: <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's destroyed it. It's totally
1: destroyed it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh God! Right, <laughs> I'm, I'm
2: afraid that we are then gonna. And most are you making <laughs> reference to that? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
2: yeah, I don't. sending uh, much, much of their um. Uh, their uh, their uh, proposal this week, I think they should go away and demon debugger themselves.
6: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: oh. Um, okay. So demon debugger doesn't work. <laughs>
2: it goes, up, it goes up alongside circle jerk of trust. The <laughs> thing was, it looked absolutely fine on paper. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> sorry John <laughs> oh
6: <laughs>
0: oh dear I haven't even started drinking yet
3: um. <laughs> uh. just leave the debugging <laughs> the demon debugger in just try and say it straight Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise the, um, no. the bloopers not going to make sense.
2: No. Uh. Try and say it again.
3: Ah, <laughs> oh. oh, right.
2: <clears throat>
0: Professional here.
2: <clears throat> We're looking at probably thirty-six, maybe thirty-seven. So wow, okay, you know. so nearly halfway in theory. Well, you know, about third, about a
0: third of the way, I think. Okay, two seconds. Which one of you buggers just yawned? Sorry,
1: does that pick? I thought I muted. <laughs> you son of a bitch! Uh, <laughs> sorry, it's because I just I had another coughing fit. Um, I must have unmuted too early. Because that coughing fit then turned into a yawn because I was really short on air.
2: Yeah, admit it, admit it, you were bored.
1: No, 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 I was, I was fascinated.
2: You were, you were bored. There was no demon debuggering going on. Uh,
1: <laughs> So was Michael um, Brooks a, um, did he, is he doing his book because he's he's on staff or did he do a, did he do a writer's pack?
0: <laughs> Chris, he's the official um, Frontier Developments fiction writer.
1: That's what I thought. So, no, no, that's yeah. right. But I'm saying, but in terms of him, but that, that's different between him developing fiction for the game and writing a book in his own name because he's not doing the um, uh, official sequel to The Dark Wheel, is he? Yes, he is. Oh, he is. <laughs> yeah. We'll cut all this then. <laughs>
2: well, I think we were going to cut it from.
1: I think we were going to I
2: think we were going we to cut it from the moment you started talking at that yeah. point. To be honest,
1: that's very that's very wise. Very wise.
3: It'll get snipped and then put at the end as a
0: exactly. Blooper. This is going to be the the, the longest <sighs> blooper reel we have to date. Because <laughs> I'm
1: not very good with names. I was convinced it was someone else. Michael Brooks. <laughs>
0: No, of all the names, you should know. You should know David Braben, and then no, no. you should
1: know Michael Brooks. Yeah, no, but, but I didn't know it in association with the official new novel. For some...
3: Oh, I can't <laughs> wait till you meet him at Lavecon, and he's going to give you the cold shoulder now. No, uh, no
1: I, I think he's mostly coming to settle a score in person with Psycho Count. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be fine. Uh,
0: I can just see you walk past it. Who, who's that guy? Who's the
2: guy <laughs> who's with <that>? the beard? <laughs> Who's the guy in the Chewbacca suit?
1: (laughs) It's kind of like the Russians from Rocky IV.
0: (laughs) I think we should just stop there in case Michael listens to any of these things and decides he's not coming.